Hi everyone, today you are all in for a treat. This is the first episode of Nobody Knows featuring an actual guest. So that means you don't have to listen to me yammer on for this entire episode today. (laughs) Today we're chatting with Madison Johnston, a 26-year-old who moved to the West Coast after graduating from university and who now lives a sober life. Madison used to be the quote-unquote party girl, and she never turned down a chance to drink and realized alcohol was an easy way to let loose from a lot of hurt she was feeling. When COVID came to Canada in 2020, wow, that seems like forever ago, her party antics stayed the same, but her mental health plummeted, and she said for the first time she truly experienced depression. Madison had multiple hospital visits, doctor visits, and psychiatrist appointments. Eventually, she was put on medication and told not to drink for 30 days to see how they would work. And she soon realized she couldn't make it past five days without a drink. This is when Madison started to wonder about sobriety. From there, she and her therapist brainstormed ways to remain accountable and taking care of her mental health. And that is what produced her authentic and vulnerable TikTok account. And if you haven't already or aren't already following her, I highly suggest going to check her out on TikTok. It's at Madison Johnston with two N's. Every day, Madison has posted a TikTok of what she's going through and what she has been doing to cope. And slowly, she started gaining messages from people who could relate to what she was going through. And she found it to be super therapeutic and continued the conversation with these people. And on Saturday, December 10th this year, Madison will be one year sober, which is so incredible. We cover so much in this discussion. I'm really excited for you all to hear this. We talk about why sobriety is not age-specific whatsoever. Then we talk about dealing with and redefining familial and romantic relationships and also friendships. And then we also talk about understanding triggers and setting firm boundaries. I think this discussion is really insightful and something that we definitely need. As someone who's in their late 20s, this is probably one of the first times that that I have had a discussion or even understood that there are people that are our age who are sober and living a sober life because I think in our 20s it's very common to be drinking a lot and going out with friends and going to parties and just you know living that binge drinking type lifestyle so I think it's really great that this conversation normalizes living a sober life in your 20s and I'm just so excited to share it with you please continue to listen I think you'll really enjoy it as well. This isn't even a question that you had agreed to, but if you want to talk about it, what sort of made you move out West? Yeah. So I always just had this idea that I was going to move away after school. My brother had moved to Victoria and Tofino and I went to visit him and I was like, wow, the West Coast is beautiful. So I got a job in Banff and literally left as soon as I graduated, moved to Banff, worked and served at the Fairmont there mm-hmm. and just fell in love with it out here. So Banff, I love it, but wasn't the place for me to stay to live in. So then that's why I moved to Calgary. So I could still have a little bit of that city feel, but be super close to the mountains. When did you move out West? Like how old were you? I was 21. Oh my gosh. That's like fairly young to move essentially across the country. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was right before my 22nd birthday. So yeah, I feel like I was a literal baby Mm -hmm. (laughs) when I think back to who I was then. Yeah. Very young. Do you have any like insights now after moving and being like, that was so young. And like when you were figuring it out back then, like, how did, how did you figure it out? I feel like I would move and then I'd be like, what did I just do? Yeah. I mean, I think what the advice I always give people is accepting that it is going to be hard. I think a lot of times, especially because of social media and Instagram, you see like the highlight reels of 
people moving away, you don't see, you know, the holidays that you have to spend alone. Or for me, I had gone through a pretty bad breakup. Um, and that was really hard to not have my family or friends here. And, you know, those are the pieces of your life that you don't see on social media. So that's always my advice is just, you know, know that it's going to be hard, but it's going to be so worth it. I think it's one of those things that you can't really prepare for. You don't, you don't know what's going to happen. You just have to be ready to grow. Really. It, I think, you know, compared to some of my friends, I feel like I ended up having to grow at a lot faster of a rate because you're on your own and you're, you know, paying bills for the first time and very different being out of university. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of challenges that will come your way, but just always knowing that it's going to be worth it and, and knowing that it's fine if you go back home. I think a lot of people may feel like I've failed if I have to go back home, but I think what kept me through it is I didn't have that mentality. I knew I could go home at any point if I wanted to. I wasn't trying to make something work that just wasn't. So it ended up just working out naturally. Yeah, that's really nice. I like that idea of like not putting pressure or like seeing it as a failure if you did end up going home. Because I think there's also a lot of discussion about like when you move away, it's almost like embarrassing or it's like, oh, well, we told you you were going to move home eventually or like that sort of idea. So that's yeah. nice that you didn't sort of set yourself up for failure. You're like, if it happens, it happens. Yeah, exactly. No, that's totally it. Let's start at the beginning um, of your story and sort of why we're here today to talk about you. Can you share your story and how you've come to live a sober life? Yes. So I will go all the way back to when I was growing up. I was born and raised in Mississauga and I was always the party girl that was I guess an identity that I attached myself to at a really young age. Now being sober, I've done a lot of reflecting on, you know, why was that? Like, why was that the identity that I felt the most connected to? Um, and I think now looking back, I always just wanted to be a part of something. And that was the people that I met and the friends that I met. So I was just always, you know, a happy, fun, go lucky party girl. And that was who I was all through high school, all through university. And now looking back, I mean, there was definitely some signs. I was someone who would be an angry drunk. You know, I had a lot of bad things happen when I would drink. And it just never really seemed like a problem because everyone around me was doing the same thing. So it never really stuck out to be that the drinking that I was doing was an issue. Um, and, you know, that has a lot to do with society and the way that we've normalized kind of that binge drinking culture, especially in university. So I went to university Again, you know, kind of stayed true to that party girl in me. And when I moved out to Calgary, where I live now, I found myself diving into that drinking culture even further. Now I was in a new place with people that I didn't know. And the only way that I knew how to connect with people was through drinking. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, let's go for a drink. Let's meet up for happy hour. Um, so that just continued. And again, it felt normal because I always surrounded myself with people who like to drink as much as I do. And it then started to take a turn. COVID hit. I lived alone. I did have a boyfriend and still do have that same boyfriend, but I lived alone and I realized for the first time in over a decade that I have never just sat with myself. And when I think back to growing up, that 
was who I always was. Like if you ask my parents, I was the most social person. I always had to be with friends. I was always at sleepovers. And looking back at it now, it was because I couldn't just sit with myself. So when COVID came and I was forced to, my drinking just, it escalated. I mean, I was drinking every single day, you know, not during the day, not in the morning, like still just at night, but it definitely was really affecting me. And my mental health took a turn. I always thought that I really knew what depression and anxiety felt like, but this was different. This was the lowest I've ever felt in my entire life. And I ended up actually having two hospital visits um, because of my depression. And I, I knew, right? I knew in the back of my mind that the one common denominator in all of this was drinking. And when I couldn't stop or would try to do, you know, a week off drinking or I just won't drink during the weeks anymore. I just started setting so many limits and I couldn't do it. So, you know, again, just time and time again of trying to stop and then going on a bender and trying to stop and going on a bender, um, I finally just had to stop. I tried to do a dry December and dry January. I made it nine days and then had a really just bad night out, you know, the depression again the next day. It was getting worse at this point because now I wanted to stop and I wasn't. So the shame and just that whole spiral. Um, and yeah, I finally just said that this was enough and I'm going to try to do a month and it just kept continuing. And now I'm living a sober life. Wow. Well, first off, thanks so much for sharing all that and like being vulnerable in sharing your story. And I think you do a very great job of sharing the highs and lows on your social platforms. And I think that's obviously why I asked you here today, but just to even say that, that is really hard for other people to do. Um, and everyone's on their own journey and their own timeline, but that's really vulnerable. And I really appreciate you sharing that today. And then another point I wanted to highlight was it was funny how you said, you know, you had never sat with yourself and your feelings and like your emotions sort of addressed things. But then as you sort of continue telling your story, I was like, well, you essentially did because there was a moment where you said, I just knew it felt different. And then like, I think that's something to really like commend you for is that it might've taken you a while, but you knew that there was something wrong and something needed to change. So I think that's like really powerful. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I always say, I, I feel really grateful to be only 26 and sober. I read a lot of memoirs and sober books and they tell stories about, you know, losing your jobs or, not being able to be there for their kids. And when I was reading that, I saw a glimpse into my future because I was starting to put drinking before everyone and everything. So I feel really lucky that I was that self-aware to realize that, you know, something is going on here. Yeah, for sure. Regardless of, you know, people thinking maybe, are you sure there's something wrong? I, I just knew in my gut. Talking about other people, I personally have a family member who is in 12-step recovery and, and also like a caveat. I talked to this person prior to this interview and had their permission to discuss them. I don't want to just make people assume that like I'm just talking about their experience without their permission. They've stressed that they couldn't really deal with their addiction on their own. They don't talk necessarily about like sober living, but rather about being an addict. And so I wanted to get your opinion and sort of your take on that perspective, because the way that you frame your experience is different. Yeah, no, it's, it's a really great point that you bring up and it's tough, right? I think substance abuse, addiction, the word addict, we as society have a lot of thoughts when when people hear 
those words and people start to assume something about you. So for me, I first off, you know, just want to say that I think on this journey, the language that you use to describe yourself is very personal and it's very different for each person. So for someone, if, you know, identifying as an addict is what keeps them sober, then continue with that, right? For me, I feel very confident and resonate a lot with saying I'm sober and living a sober life. But when I hear addict, I don't necessarily necessarily resonate with it as much. And I think that has to do even with my own bias and conditioning around what I think an addict is, right? I think it even goes back again to society and the way that we see it. Um, I, I agree that this is something that you can't do alone. And the 12-step program has helped millions and millions of people. It is a program that I know a lot of women and younger adults have started to not resonate with as much, which is where I think this sober living and sober movement has really started to, you know, come up. But I also wish and hope to remove the stigma around addict because there shouldn't be any shame around that word. Mm -hmm. I think right now there just still is, which is probably why I never resonated with it. I had a question in regards to how you frame your experience as sober living, but I think you answered that in that previous answer. So I have a follow-up question to this is sort of to anyone who let's say isn't living a sober life, but they might have friends, family, coworkers, just people in their lives who are sober. What is the best way to ask them? Like, how do they identify? Like, what is their experience their truth and how they want to like shape their story and so how best can I address them yeah I think just asking questions I I can tell when you know someone is asking questions because they genuinely care and want to know more and that makes me feel so heard and so seen and I will always be very open with people who just ask me questions, right? You know, I think you can ask, hey, I know, you know, you're kind of on this journey right now, you know, with alcohol. And how do I kind of address you, right? If someone was to ask, do you prefer that I say that you're sober? Do you prefer that I say you're alcohol free? Like what type of language do you want me to use? Um, and that's actually something I've learned a lot in being sober is how important language is and how they have meaning, words have meanings. And for some people, especially I think on a sober journey, it's really important. And I do think asking someone is a great way to go about that. For sure. Thank you for that. What would you say? are the biggest misconceptions about living a sober life? Yeah, so <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> I'm um, sure, I'm sure there is. <laughs> yes, we could probably do a whole podcast on uh, just that question. <laughs> yeah. One of the first things is there's a misconception with sober, meaning that you hit this, crazy rock bottom, lost your job, got a DUI, you know, mm -hmm. just everything that you could imagine when you hear the word sober. Um, that's what I think stops people sometimes from getting sober. A lot of people that I've talked to will say, well, it's not that bad because, you know, I'm not drinking in the morning and I haven't lost my job. So people assume that sober means that all of these other things had to happen for you to get there. 
And for me, hitting what I would say was my rock bottom, you know, being in the hospital, not a place I ever saw myself being such a positive, outgoing person. Um, So I'm really passionate about people not thinking that they have to hit that rock bottom in order to stop. The other thing would be sober is not boring. (laughs) It was boring at first. And I say that to a lot of people. And I think that's why people don't continue going forward because they stop. It's boring. And they're like, see, this is exactly what I thought being sober would be like. Mm -hmm. But really what it is, is you've created a habit, a hobby, and a way of connecting with people. And now that's gone. Right. So even if you drink three days a week, that's 156 days out of the year. Damn. Yeah. I didn't really think about it like that. You make a good point. (laughs) Right. Um, And that doesn't even include like being hungover or the time spent planning it. So you've spent this huge chunk of your life doing something. When you stop that, you're going to be bored. You're confused. You don't know what to do with your time. So I definitely would say that it can be boring once you, you know, start, but my life is not boring anymore. Um, I used to think that for me, fun meant going out and staying out late and, you know, all of those things, but I just realized that that's actually not what I identify as fun. For me now, fun is waking up early and feeling good, going to get coffee, going to see a new bookstore. It's really just like a shift in hobbies and interests. So yeah, sober is not boring. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. That's such a good one. And I think back to my days when I definitely partied and drank a lot more than I do now. And I got to the point where that became boring for me because it was like I was waking up, like you said, hungover, had anxiety from like what I did the night before. It just, it wasn't great. I was exhausted because I was up to the wee hours of the morning when I really should have just been in bed. You know, like nothing really good happens after I think midnight now because I go to bed so early now, but you know (laughs) what I mean? It's like, I should have been in bed and that whole lifestyle has slowly become boring. And like you said, I don't identify fun in that anymore. Yeah, exactly. And I think too, that it's really easy to romanticize, you know, maybe the first two hours of drinking. And that was something I struggled with when I was trying to stop. I would see on Instagram, you know, people going out for dinner, people dancing in a club, and I would completely romanticize it. But they're not posting the next morning. They're not, you know, posting about the anxiety or panic attacks the drinking has given them. So I, you know, have to even stop myself now when I start romanticizing drinking. I have to remind myself it was really only fun for an hour or two. Um, And for me, I was having debilitating panic attacks when I was drinking a lot. I was having about like four panic attacks a week. So I have to remind myself that is what my drinking career was. Um, And maybe it wasn't always that, but that's what it was. And that's what it was going to continue to be. So when you decided to get sober, how did your friends and family react? And you alluded previously, and some people have even said to you, oh, well, was it even that bad? Or are you sure that you want to do this? Like questioning you. So can you elaborate on that experience and how you sort of navigated dealing with friends and family while you're trying to get sober? Yeah. So the kind of easy thing in terms of friends was that my core group of friends are still in Ontario. So I didn't really have to deal with, you know, our day to day or our weekends or our hangout dynamic changing. I think if I was to still live at home, 
I have no idea how, you know, those dynamics would have changed. It would have been a huge adjustment, but because I'm out here, I'm just so lucky to have the absolute bestest friends in this entire world. And they've done nothing but support me from day one. So I feel really grateful for that because I know that's not the case for everyone. Now, the friends that I had made out here, most of them are no longer my friends. And yeah, and you know, I've done a lot of reflecting on it and I I don't even think it was them not wanting to be my friend anymore. It was actually me pulling myself away. Mm-hmm. I'm sure to a lot of people, and <laughs> if they listen to this, they would think I just disappeared off this earth because I really just had to pull myself out of everything. And because a lot of those relationships were built on the foundation of drinking, they just inevitably became triggers. And again, nothing that they could have done, um, but it just was. So yeah, that's kind of the dynamic for friends. For family, the hard thing was, again, that I don't live where they live. So my family and the closest people to me, they didn't really know what was going on. Um, I've always been very good at seeming like I have it all together, not talking about my feelings, like that's who I was prior to being sober. So I didn't want to burden anyone with what was going on up here. But what had happened was my angel of a boyfriend was always by my side and he knew. And he was actually the one that said, like, if you if you drink one more time, like I'm, I'm going to call your parents. And it's really cute thinking about that now. Cause it's not like he was, if you drink one more time, I'm leaving you. It was like, I'm going to have to tell someone because <laughs> I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. They, they were a little bit confused. Um, my parents, I think like a lot of people still have the very black and white idea of what being sober is so to them it was like you're not an alcoholic like you have a good job and you have a boyfriend and a house and a dog like that doesn't scream alcoholic um so they I don't think they thought that there was an issue um but they really come around I have a brother and a sister that I'm very very close to and they've supported me from day one. Um, my sister, especially she used to work in addictions and mental Mm. health. So she gets it for sure. Um, yeah. yeah. And my mom too, she was definitely someone who didn't, it was almost like she didn't want to have a daughter who was an addict. Um, but it was just her old school mentality and all she knew. And, she's been so open to learning about it. And now she'll call me on like my sober date of the month. She actually recently just did three months alcohol free. So so nice. Wow. Yeah. So it's super sweet. And now I would say everyone's at a, at a place where they're very supportive of me. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. That's really great to hear. And I felt a little bit sad and my heart broke for you a bit because when you said, you essentially lost your friends from making this lifestyle change. Did you have to like grieve your relationships with your friends that you had lost whilst you're also struggling with your personal journey? Definitely. Yeah. I, I mean, if I didn't have my boyfriend, I really don't know what would have happened. I mean, I probably would have had to move home um, because I, I was in the darkest place of my entire life. And I had a lot of shame around it too. I felt shameful that I, you know, hadn't reached out to them or just all of those feelings. So it was really difficult. It was very lonely to be in, you know, on the other side of the country without my core support system and then essentially losing the people that I had met out here. So it was really tough. And I don't think I would have 
gotten through that without the support of all my friends back home um, and my boyfriend. Let's bring it up a notch. Let's lighten the mood a little bit. Yes. It was really heavy. It was really important to discuss through that. You can tell me the things, what are you currently loving in life? Yes. Oh, I feel like I'm loving everything, but I've said this a lot. I feel like I'm living life with a new set of eyes. The sky looks bluer. The trees look greener. It's almost like my child self again. Wow. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. I feel like I always say my inner child is just like screaming and dancing and is just so happy. I'm really just content with the basic things of life. I truly just have a new appreciation for life and being alive. So things that I'm loving is waking up in the morning and having my morning coffee and taking my dog for a walk. I am loving podcasts because, oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) That's how I got sober is like podcasts. So I'm just loving learning new things. I'm kind of learning who I am again. Right. I was this one person for a decade, right? I mean, I started drinking at 14. So my entire adult life has been this one thing. And now I'm starting to learn again what I do love. And at first it was hard because I didn't know what I loved. I didn't have, you know, a lot of interests. And now being almost at the one year mark, I just love being outside and dancing in my kitchen. And honestly, just all the very simple things in life is what I love and makes me happy. I love that. And that's like the whole point of this podcast, especially for us in our mid twenties. I think it's very um, expected that we have to know exactly what we're doing in like all aspects of life at 27 when I mean, you perfectly summed it up. You're just rediscovering yourself. And if I'm perfectly honest, I'm right there with you because like, I still have no idea what the hell I'm doing half the time, you know? Yeah. (laughs) But that's the beauty of it. Exactly. And again, with social media, we just have these expectations that we should be at our highest self right now. And we should have the job of our dreams and travel and have all the things And we are losing sight of just how simple life can be and how really those small things each day, that is what makes you happy. And I'm so passionate about it because on the outside, you know, on Instagram, I remember always getting messages. I'm so jealous that you live out there and the mountains are so beautiful and I'm so jealous of your life. Meanwhile, two nights before I was in the hospital because of my mental health. And it was such a reality check of, whoa, slow down. You don't need to have everything figured out. You don't have to have everything. Just learn to be content with yourself and the rest will come. So you've talked a lot about working with your therapist and how your relationship with them has changed your life. What are some other life-changing hacks that you've discovered from working with your therapist? The one that I always post on TikTok about is dancing out my anxiety. I did it before we jumped on this call. (laughs) I love it. I should have done that. I should have. I'll do it. I'll do it later. I'll do it afterwards because I'll probably still have a little bit of jitters in me because I'm having so much fun. Yes, do it. It just feels so good. Um, It's one of those things, again, trying to think back to when you were a kid and the things that you loved and dancing like no one was watching was one of them. So that's one that I do. Um, The other is boundaries. I know it's a topic that a lot of people talk about, but it really has changed my life, understanding how to set a boundary, what a boundary is, is crucial to me living a sober life. I wouldn't be sober if I didn't have boundaries in place. 
there's a lot of things that I don't feel comfortable going to or conversations I don't want to be a part of and learning that putting a boundary in place is okay, even with family, because they're the hardest to set boundaries with. It's life-changing, truly understanding how to set a boundary. And the other is that no is a full sentence. I like that one too. Is a big one. You don't have to say yes to everything if you don't feel comfortable or just don't want to go somewhere. No is okay. It's a full sentence. That's so good. I I need that advice myself because I'm always trying to like explain myself afterwards. Whereas people will tell me no and I'll be like, okay, cool. I'll I'll take it for face value. The 20s are often viewed as your time to hang out with friends and like party hard and binge drink. And we see this drinking narrative in all different aspects of pop culture, like we previously were talking about. How has that stereotypical lifestyle affected you navigating sobriety? Yeah, so that is exactly what kept me from getting sober for so long. I even had people say, but you're so young, as if there's an age to addiction. (laughs) Um, So one of the first things that I did was I actually deleted all of my social media. The day that I really knew I needed to get sober, I knew that I could not see what other people were doing because it was really hard. It really did make me feel like I was the only person on this planet that had this problem. What has changed for me is I have curated my Instagram specifically to be a very healthy, happy place. So when I got my social media back, I did a huge declutter and I also muted pretty much every single person who is not sober or not a like self-help account. So even my best friends, I'm so sorry. I do not see your stories. (laughs) I probably don't see your posts. (laughs) I love it. It's honest and fair. Yeah. And that is truly made such a big difference because it made me feel a part of something bigger than just myself. I was able to dive into a whole world of people who know and believe that that's not what your 20s have to be. So I've pretty much found the community I was always searching for in this sober community. So it's hard though, right? I mean, I still see it. It's in music and TV and movies. So it's definitely difficult. But again, what I do is when I find myself romanticizing that life, I just reel myself back to what I want in life. And it's not to say that if that is what you enjoy, then that that's bad because I don't feel that way. It's just for me, I learned that that's actually not the life that I want and that serves me. So I just always kind of check myself when I start romanticizing that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I also really like that you said you unfollow people or will mute them. I think that's such a powerful tool and probably one of the best things about social media. Like social media can be really detrimental sometimes, but I think muting people and feeling, and even unfollowing if you have to is totally okay. Mm -hmm. And I sometimes do that myself where I will just be like, I don't need these people in my life. Yes. Maybe they were once in my life, but I don't have them in my life anymore and I don't need them in my life anymore. And there's a reason why they're not in my life anymore. So I shouldn't feel guilty to unfollow them or to remove them on social media. Yeah, exactly. And I love it because now I go on on social media and I'm always learning something new. I'm connecting with people who are going through the same thing as me. So what was at first a huge trigger is now how I'm able to stay sober. Like, when I'm feeling, you know, down or in that phase of missing my old life, 
I can literally open up Instagram, see all the other people and all these amazing humans that I've met on a similar journey. And it motivates me to keep going. So it's, it's such a powerful tool. And I, I tell my friends, you know, about what I've done often, because it's so important to make sure that what you're consuming is actually something that makes you feel good. Because if it's not, you know, that's a huge chunk of time to be scrolling or, you know, just to engage in if, if you're leaving and not feeling good about yourself. And as you mentioned, you've now followed people that are like about self-development or are living a sober life. And I feel like as we slowly progress throughout society, mental health and addiction, they're being discussed and talked a lot more about. And particularly the discussion of substance abuse is becoming more normalized. But if I were to like put myself in the shoes of someone who is trying to become sober or try to put myself in your experience, I feel like I would be a deer in headlights on, okay, I've made this decision. I know I need help. What are the next steps? What resources do I have? Did you feel unsure when you had made this decision, when you realized at the beginning of your journey, how did you ensure that you stayed consistent and what resources did you have to remain sober? Yeah. So at first, I mean, that you said it perfectly. I was a deer in headlights. I had no idea. I had only ever heard of AA. So I, yeah, I was stuck. I really didn't know who to turn to or what to do. Um, that actually also is a huge reason why I'm so open about my struggles on social media, because if I had seen that someone else was going through this, it would have helped me a lot sooner. And I've had so many people reach out to me on Instagram, people that I knew when I was a kid or, you know, partied with in university and people that I would never think are struggling with alcohol. And they are now looking into it because I've tried my best to normalize that it's okay. So that is also what helped me. I just went on Spotify, started looking up sober podcasts, Googling sober books to read, and I dove into books and podcasts. I am someone who can have a little bit of a science brain. I needed the facts of, okay, what is alcohol actually doing to me? Like what is happening in my brain? Um, so I read a ton and that really helped me through the beginning. There's also a ton of community support groups. Um, there's also alternative recovery programs from AA. So there's one called Reframe which I actually work part-time for. I host their under 30 meetings. So I support all of their users for everyone who's under 30. So that's a great tool that you can use to cut back or to quit. Um, I for a bit something that's called Tempest. It, it was created by a lady called uh, Holly Whitaker, and she's the author of Quit Like a Woman, which is a fantastic book. So there's a, you know, it's starting to change, right? So new programs, um, communities, they're always popping up now. So if you are someone who's looking for an alternative to AA, there's a ton of resources out there. Um, I actually have in my notes app, a sober resource page, so that when people reach out to me, I have some, you know, quick guides to to help people get started. I love that. Those are all really, really helpful. And I will find those and put those in the show notes of today so that anyone who's listening and is interested can access all of those. You posted on TikTok that you've just started a new role at work. And it also related to that TikTok where you were dancing to get your anxiety out because you were so nervous about this new position. Um, do you want to talk more about that and all the exciting things that are happening? Yes. So I started a new role at my job. I work in a tech company. We work within the school boards in, well, I specifically work with the school boards across Canada. 
So I am responsible for traveling and being on site with these customers to support them when they use our technology. So it's it's a big change, um, especially being sober. I really turned into a hermit and it's really pushed me out of my comfort zone. You know, airports are triggering for drinking, traveling alone. Um, I work in sales. So, you know, lots of networking events. So it's been a big change, but it's been incredible for me to grow. Um, not only professionally, almost more personally, because it's really pushing me out of my comfort zone. And I truly believe that, you know, this promotion came to be because of the work that I've done in the past year. And every day, I honestly feel so grateful to be in this role because I know it has to do with me being sober now is, is why and, and how I got here. Wow. That's amazing. Well, congratulations. That's a really nice full circle moment, I bet. Yes, it is. Yeah. Especially working, you know, part-time for a sober app is something that I would have never in a million years could have imagined I would do on the side. Um, and it, I, I mean, I tell all the amazing humans that come every week that they truly help me on, on my journey. I really began to learn that I thrive when I'm helping other people and helping other people on this journey is what keeps me sober every single day. Drinking with family and friends in like common and frequently at this particular time due to the holidays. Um, for anyone that is listening and probably going through that experience and let's say doesn't want to drink for whatever reason, what are the best and easiest ways to say no and set a boundary? And it might just be like you said before, it's just saying no, but you also said it's hard to set those boundaries, particularly with your family. What advice would you give? Yeah. So the holidays are tough. And one of the first things that I always say is if you don't want to drink or you are someone who is trying to be sober, that is your number one priority above anyone's feelings, everything. That is what you protect. So if that means having to lie and I mean, we talk about it in the sober community a lot. There's a ton of excuses. You know, I have to drive. I have to be up early. It's really just protecting what you have to do to not drink. So you know your family and friends best if they're going to respect your decision more with saying, you know, I have to drive or whatever it may be. That that can be the path that you take. Um, but what I personally like to do is preparing for it ahead of time. So for example, if I was going home for Christmas and my family maybe has no idea that I'm not drinking or that I don't want to drink, I would call one of them before I go and just say, Hey, I just want to let you know now I'm going to be coming home and I actually won't be drinking. I know it might be a little bit of a shock. People might have questions, but at this point, I don't really want to talk about it. I just want all of you to know that I won't be drinking. I want it to be respected. And when I feel ready to talk about it, I'll reach back out to you. And that's setting the boundary right there. The, hey, I'm coming home. I can't wait to see you guys. I'm excited to spend the time with you, but I just want you to know that I won't be drinking. And if that boundary is crossed, then that's when you come in with a little bit of a harder boundary. But that's a great place to start. And just always, always remembering that you come first and protect that decision to not drink if you don't want to, or if you're in my case, can't really. Before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you if there was anything else that you wanted to say to anyone who's listening, someone who might be struggling with sobriety, someone who might be doing very well and living their best sober life. If there's anything that you wanted to say. 
Yeah. So, you know, if, if you're in a phase where you're maybe questioning your relationship with it, or you're struggling right now, just know that it does get better. It really does not feel like it does at the beginning, but I promise you it does. Don't do it alone. You have to have people in your life who get it. Your family, your friends, your partners, they can all be the people who absolutely love you the most in the world. But unless they've gone through this, it's really hard for them to understand. So find a community that you can lean on. And lastly, it's okay. I always say there's no shame in the sober game. It is something that I think you should embrace. It's something that I'm actually really proud of. I've come such a far way to be here and to also say I'm sober without any shame. So the more of us that do that, you know, it will be living less on a drunk planet, as I like to say. For sure. For sure. That was amazing. Um, I want to say thank you again so much for joining me to have this wonderful conversation. And again, for your vulnerability and your insight and let the listeners know where they can find you and follow you on all your social platforms. Yes. So Instagram and TikTok are both Mads Johnston with two N's at the end. So it's Mads Johnston with two N's. Perfect. I love it. 